Georgius Paniotu. Is that how you pronounce it? <laughs> I don't know. I figured you would have YouTubed it or something. Georgius Paniotu and Andrew Ridgely. Well, you may not recognize their names individually. They were two you are the- individually. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> They were two of the biggest pop stars of the 1980s, better known as Wham! They had multiple number one hits, including a staple of the Christmas classics you suffer through every December. Pena 2 changed his name to George Michael since, well, it's less of a mouthful. After massive success, the duo amicably parted ways in 1986. The next year, George Michael released one of the most successful albums of the 80s, Faith. The album spawned four major hits and one album of the year at the 1988 Grammys. One More Try is such a great song, by the way. Holy shit. Oh, we'll talk about that a little bit. Michael wasn't happy, though, and wanted to be taken more seriously as a songwriter. In 1990, Listen Without Prejudice, Volume 1, hit the shelves. It was a stark departure from the power pop sound of Faith. While most of the songs are down-tempo and focused on the vocals, one song stood out from the rest. Freedom 90 was an anthemic track with multiple sections and melodies merging together into a pop hit. Although it didn't land well initially in the UK, it was huge in the US, mostly thanks to the unforgettable video featuring the world's biggest supermodels and directed by David Fincher. Today on Hidden Jukebox, we dive further into Freedom 90 and the career of Mr. Panio 2. Excellent. Uh, before we go any further, have you seen the movie Music and Lyrics with uh, Drew Barrymore and Hugh Grant? Oh, a long time ago. Because <laughs> the uh, uh, the premise of the movie is that uh, um, Hugh Grant is is George Michael and used to be in Wham. And uh, there there's like this the the only part of the movie worth watching. It's not a very good movie, but there's this video from from Hugh Grant's old band that is supposed to be Wham called Pop Goes My Heart that is very funny. Wait a minute, is he actually playing George Michael or just a character that's very very obviously George Michael, but not named George Michael. Just uh, he's not playing George Michael. No, it's it's that it's that he had a, a pop, a super huge pop duo in the 80s that uh, that broke up and he's kind of floundering, figuring out what to do next. OK, did you ever see the movie Duets with Gwyneth Paltrow and Paul Giamatti? No, I've never it, even heard of it's it. It's a movie about the two of them doing karaoke music together, and it's just as bad as it sounds. I don't know. It sounds kind of good. <laughs> well, Huey Lewis is in it, so how bad could it be? That, that sounds even better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Michael Bublé is in it. Holy shit. Okay. All right. Why aren't we? Why aren't we reviewing that movie uh, instead of that's the not what we do on the show? Okay. Turns out that makes sense. Uh, okay. So I've listened to the song. Uh, I mean, like hundreds of times in my life, but like a dozen times in the last week. And we, we, I think we just have to like state this and get past it that uh, this is one of the worst sounding albums possibly ever in terms of production. It's not George Michael's fault. It's not the songwriting. It's that the production is fucking garbage. Now, now I'm always one to argue albums that sound dated versus albums that could hold up today and you'd never know the difference. And this album, I don't even know if dated would be the right term for it. It's not even that it sounds 80s or 90s. Right. It just sounds incredibly bad. Yeah, it's just like it came out, like I think, at a time when we were 
it, this is just a kind of a, a theory that I'm making up on the spot that we were moving from like you know uh, 80s style production with like you know lots of lots of synth hits and uh, and uh, no bass into 90s style production that is like very compressed and so it's it's a it's an 80s style but like very compressed production yeah like gated very, yes and and so it just it just sounds like it's it's thin uh it's uh, the, the only i will say one good thing about it which is that there is there's a cool bass riff on the bridge and you can hear it well and and like there's not a lot of focus on the drums on this album which may be partially because he was trying to focus on his songwriting and want people to take him seriously as a songwriter but it sounds purposeful in a way that it was like a production choice not like a songwriting choice which makes it sound like God, there should really be some drums in here. Yeah, I um, I watched an interesting video recently. This is like vaguely related to just just in the sense that it is about like production and how it can uh, affect your enjoyment of a song. And uh, and I do love this song. Don't get me wrong. Um, and it was about like uh, the argument that this person was making was that uh, if you have listened to the recent Smashing Pumpkins uh, albums and dismissed them, it is probably not because of the songwriting or the performance. It is because the production is atrocious and. I think I think that is overstating it, but I think also he had a point. Definitely overstating it. I yeah. like it's again. I don't think anybody would listen to those albums and go, "Well, you know, you can tell these were made in the '90s." Like, like I think they somewhat hold up. It's just somewhat bad production. No, no, I mean the 2020s oh. Smashing Pumpkins albums. Well, that would involve me listening to yes. those, which I never did. Right. Um, okay. Let's talk about Freedom 90 because this this song, in terms of songwriting and singing, is an absolute stone-cold masterpiece. I love this song. It, it's incredible. Like, like I've, I've listened to this song, like you said, hundreds of times, but it was – I'll admit I don't always have fun going in and dissecting the songs or albums that we do on this show, but I had a lot of fun tearing this apart yes. and, and like – really like go, digging into what he's doing here um it has so it, unless i'm forgetting one it has it has at least like five separate sections that are all extremely hooky and memorable at least i mean so it opens with a percussion intro and i will say again like george michael his previous album to this sold 12 million copies. I find it ironic that the album is called Listen Without Prejudice because it was supposed to be a commentary on like the the prejudice of the American society in that day. But now I listen to it, I go, well, I can't listen to this album without prejudice because it sounds terrible. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is that they had unlimited money to make this album. Right. And I think that worked against them. I know. It's like. Couldn't you have just brought a grand piano in rather than playing the piano part on a Casio? Right. I, I, it, it, we talk about how Matthew uh, records a vocal performance of each <laughs> yes. of each song that we do, and he sent it to me earlier this month, and I'm listening to it. I'm like, well, you could have found like a version of the karaoke song that wasn't so canned sounding, and then I turned on the actual version of the song. And I'm like, oh, never mind. This is actually how the song sounds. Um, but breaking it down, so it it starts with this percussion intro, and then he goes straight into what we can only call part of the chorus because it's like 
the chorus is almost two choruses. Well, it's it's almost three choruses. So there is there is the first half of the chorus, the the all we have to do now, and then there's the freedom part of the chorus that is a call and response. And the intro to the song is just the response. Yeah. And and I mean it all works so well. Like if you yeah. took if you took all of these separate, which he does here at the beginning, they're all absolutely pop classics. Yes. Where, where it's like, I would kill to be able to write a song with one of those, and it's got all of them. The other thing is the the uh bridge breakdown that you're talking about, where it's got a pretty good bass line somewhat mimics this pre-chorus that he does, which is the, I think there's something you should know, yep. which works as a chorus as well. It's oh, yeah. so catchy. That's, that's probably my favorite. If I had to pick a favorite part of the song, it's that part, but they're all good. <laughs> yeah. And then and then the verses, like he's doing a lot of different things with the verses. Like the, the he changes his melodies in the middle of yep. it. It's not just like I came up with one idea and I'm going to repeat it over and over again. Yeah. So there's all of that to think about. And then there's the fact that this song is over six minutes long on the yes. album. And I kept listening to it going, I wouldn't take out a second of this. No, there's no filler in it anywhere. It's so well written. And I've I've been guilty of like, oh, okay, well, I've come up with five new ideas recently. I'm going to throw the kitchen sink into a song. And it's like, okay, these parts don't match at all. I, <laughs> sure. I'm, just, I'm just trying to take everything I've written and throw it into a pot. And this is not that at all. No. And uh, the... I mean, the lyrics are fun also in that he's like telling telling the story of his musical career up to this point, but it doesn't sound too self-indulgent, I would say. Well, it's apparently it's part of how he convinced all five supermodels to be in the video. <laughs> Wait, really? What yeah. does that have to do with anything? It, well, one of them. Uh, I mean, I assume he convinced them by saying you, you will get paid and will be in a popular music video. <laughs> it, well, one of them was like, uh, I don't really want to do this. Um, I'm trying to find find the in, info on this. Um, I would have to look up the okay. video. But one one of them basically said, "I don't want to do it." And he said, "Well, basically, the song is about how I don't want to be famous and I don't want to appear in my own videos." And she's like, "Oh, okay, I can get behind that. I'll okay, be in your video." That's cool. Yeah, and and the video itself is fantastic. I mean, it a, is, yeah. a lot of people who grew up around this time or who lived through the '90s remember this song mostly because of how iconic this video was yeah i'm uh, i'm going going to uh karaoke next week with some people that i don't know very well do you think i should sing this song uh i think it's too long i i actually want to get into that in okay. a second but i i do want to say on a side note isn't karaoke one of the things that you missed most during covid yeah this is this is like my first time doing bar karaoke karaoke since before the pandemic i'm very excited yeah very excited um, you you mentioned in the notes here how much you love George Michael's voice. Oh yeah, it like I think he's one of the greatest singers who ever lived. Okay, so yes, you should do this song mm -hmm. because l let's talk a little bit about why he is one of the greatest singers right. ever. Well, I mean, the danger of that, of course, is that like I am not as good a singer as him, and so like the you know the 
the difference between uh, my voice and his will stand out. But I can sing his songs pretty well for the most part. So um, that's part of it for me. Yeah. Go, go on. Okay. So his uh, – first of all, like – his tone is wonderful. He has his voice is really deep, but he can sing very high, and so he gets a very full resonance. Um, he's got he's got like a you know just a the tiniest bit of natural rasp. Like he mostly sings clean, but but uh, it's not it's not so squeaky clean that there isn't like a little tiny like extra bit of character character to it. And he is he uses his voice in a way that is soulful. And I think when we say a voice is soulful, we're partly talking about the the timbre of the voice, but I think we're mostly talking about the way the singer plays with pitch and rhythm in a very like specific but like natural and improvisational musical way. Timbre was the exact word I was going to yeah. use. Some vocalists just have a voice that sounds welcoming, and his voice is just warm and welcoming. He doesn't do a lot of uh like falsetto like you said he's got a very very full range to to what he does what that's, is that that's nothing okay, don't worry about good. it good <laughs> george michael was haunting us in this room the lights kept flickering on and off he's like i hear you talking about me um and and for karaoke he's his songs are singable enough that you can sing it and go, oh, man, that's such a, a, a great song. Whereas, like, I picture somebody going in and going, I'm going to do a Mariah Carey song. And everyone's like, no, please don't do that. Right. You're right. No, that warmth is a good is a good term. Like, you know, that uh, there is like uh, many years ago, I read a book about like uh, singing technique in which the the author made a, a contention that I think is like overstated, but is like stuck with me ever since that like when you think about like your favorite singers, probably they are either a fantastic technical singer or a fantastically emotional singer, but rarely both. And I found that to be usually true. And like it's very easy. Like if you throw out a singer, I will say, OK, technical singer, emotional singer. And George Michael absolutely was both. Right. Like people go to Bruce Springsteen shows and the big Bruce fans sing along with absolutely every lyric. But is anybody going to say he's a talented singer? Probably not. Well, but I mean, I think I, I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan, so I'm the wrong person to ask. But like, I don't think I don't think like technical precision is the only measure of being a talented singer. I suppose so. But in terms of, of him, like he's giving the people something that they can sing along to. But you, you don't put him in the list of most talented vocalists of all time. Sure. It doesn't mean that he's not talented. It's just that like you listen to George Michael and. It's hard to argue with the fact that he was extremely talented as a singer. And it brings us back to the point of even with bad production, this is such a great song because his voice carries it so well and it's so well written. Yeah. So it's like you, you're somewhat able to ignore the fact that what he puts behind the whole thing is a little bit ridiculous and how bad it is. Yeah. I'm so glad he got to sing a duet with Aretha Franklin. <laughs> Like I don't even I don't even like care for that song particularly, but I'm just happy that happened. I I am too. Uh, the one that I do really like is "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me." Mm -hmm. Like I remember that MTV had a live version of that performance with with him and Elton John that they would play regularly as a video, and I was like, oh man, this song is so good. Yeah, that was that the '90s or is that the '80s? Uh, 
I think it might have been the '90s. I was gonna, I was gonna say like you know, Elton John is obviously one of my all-time favorites, but I don't think, I don't think we're gonna do any Elton John '90s releases on this show. Yeah. Uh, what? When? When was uh, Red Strikes Backs? <laughs> that was that was '80s. I still have a soft spot for that album. <laughs> yeah, I remember that you you bought that album on CD, and I was yeah. like, that's an interesting choice. But yeah. okay, what what was the hit off of that one? Oh shit, I don't know. Uh, Passengers, maybe. I don't think there was. Was there a big hit off that album? Maybe there was. I, I don't know. Okay. Um, I, I think I think Breaking Hearts is still a very good album. Breaking Hearts. It's like '84, maybe. Uh, the 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 title track of Breaking Hearts is not a well known Elton John song, but is absolutely one of my favorites. It's just a fucking killer song. Yeah, that that guy had a few hits. So one of the things uh, that I uh, want to discuss is: Would you call George Michael a folk singer? No, I would not. And I I see I see where you're going with this, but still no. I, I he wanted to be taken seriously as a songwriter. And if you listen to this album, it's it's hard to listen to Faith and go, okay, he's he's a folk artist. But if you listen to this album, like kind of the way he's writing lyrics, and there's a lot of acoustic guitar in, in this album, I know that he's not Woody Guthrie. I right. know that he's not Neil Young. But like, there's a little bit of him that it was I think was at least trying to get lumped into that, where it's like my lyrics can be taken seriously. Uh, my my performance can be taken as something that's acoustic like i don't have to do a big stadium style show can i can i like uh, admit something probably embarrassing i don't think i've ever listened to any of the uh, george michael albums after this one there's only 3 of I, them I, I was going to say i think 3 maybe 4 and i don't think i did either they they didn't chart well in the us no but like now i'm i'm curious like you know you know, I'm sure I'm sure he could still write songs. I'm sure like, you know, the sort of the culture had moved on. But like, I bet there is some some uh, terrific work in there somewhere. Um, I can't find uh, when their performance of Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me became famous. Sure. But do you know when Elton John wrote that song? Take a wild guess. Uh, 77. 74. OK. Yeah. I, I did not realize it was that early. Um. Back to what you were saying, like, I, I never listened to the other albums, um, but one of the things that I found researching this episode is he has sold somewhere between 100 and 125 million records. Sure. Which, when you look at Listen Without Prejudice Volume 1, it didn't sell that well. Like, like compared to uh, Faith, which sold... 12 million copies i think this sold 4 million mm-hmm. so like the the record company looked at it as a severe letdown sure which it's hard to say about an album that sells 4 million copies but that's 16 million where did the other 100 million albums come in so first of all i think probably uh the the uh 4 million is, is probably u.s sales and probably there are additional like i think i think you're like comparing u.s sales and worldwide sales sure um, and probably they are including Wham sales. Man, man, that band was huge. Yeah, like, I know. Like, I remember. Like, I remember when "Take Me Out Before You Go Go" came out. You wake me up before you go. Sorry, wake me up. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about the mashup of uh, of Franz oh, Ferdinand uh, <laughs> "Take Me Out" and "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go." It, it was, was a huge hit. It was a massive hit. Um, what? <laughs> why does Why does that song start with them just going jitterbug? 
I, I don't know. It's because because the 80s is like, you know, weirder than any 80s parody could ever accomplish. I, I know. Why. It's like nobody could make this up. Somebody hears and goes, hit, and it actually works. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's actually a hit. Yeah, when Wham performed their farewell concert, they sold out Wembley Stadium. Sure. They, they were an absolutely enormous band. And another interesting factoid that I found is that uh, Careless Whisper is a Wham song, but it is 100% credited to George Michael. Yes. And if you had asked me, I would not have said it was a Wham song. I would have assumed that it was a George Michael single. Yeah, I, I always forget. And it's, it's yeah, you see it, you see it billed as, as like either, either way. Yeah. I want to talk about the song one more try, but first, uh, one of the other notes that we had in here was uh, this is a very long song. They, Six and a half minutes. They, yeah. they did it, long song in terms of, of famous material and they they did a radio edit for it that was about four and a half minutes long but uh what do you consider a long song um oh i would say over six minutes like definitely qualifies for me one of the issues for me and and deciding on that is that i am a big prog rock fan and all of a sudden long songs don't count because you introduced me to Jethro Tull who I'm <laughs> not necessarily true. saying is a prog rock band and they would Jethro do, Tull is absolutely a prog rock th- band like, like Thick as a Brick is one song that's 45 <laughs> minutes long <laughs> that's true and they still released part of it as a single I will defend Thick as a Brick I think it's I think it's uh, I mean the lyrics are very dumb but it's really catchy it's, oh, it's fun it's great <laughs> um, but like we we covered closer on this show, and and Nine Inch Nails closer is six minutes and thirteen oh, seconds that's long. That's true. Yeah, I mean, like obviously, a good a good long song doesn't make you feel like you've been sitting and listening to it for eight minutes or whatever. Right. So so I don't even remember closer being that long. Every, I guess it has a hugely long outro. Right. Everybody points to it does, but it works. Everybody points to Stairway to Heaven. Stairway to Heaven is something like seven and a half minutes sure. long, but it, it's kind of a. a rock opera opus thing yes, so as is as is november rain like that whole song is necessary like oh like, yeah it's it's you, great if you edit part of it out it's like this doesn't work anymore and uh wait a minute we talked about this before uh i think we talked about it possibly like within the last couple of of episodes uh use your illusion one and two or 1990 right yep so so we we do need to do something need from to that do okay. at least something from that. Um the another song I found that's that's quite long, Do They Know It's Christmas featuring George Michael. So okay, yeah. So I I asked what are what are uh, your favorite long songs from any era and you put Do They Know It's Christmas, they know it's Christmas? and We Are the World. <laughs> These are two of your favorites? Absolutely. I I mean okay. ma- massive massive hits. Uh, like, I don't know why that was a thing in the 80s where it was like, let's get every star that we possibly can together and we'll give each of them a verse. So the song mm-hmm. has no choice but to be over six minutes long because we're not going to pay George Michael five million dollars to come into the studio and just sing background vocals for fucking Bob I'm Dylan. Sure, I'm sure they like gave their their, uh, you know, their paychecks to to the charity. Do you remember the uh, the Saturday Night Live bit? Where Aerosmith was on the show and they did a "We Are the World" type of thing no. uh, to convince Michael Michael Jordan not to retire. <laughs> no, but that's a good bit. It, it's it's a good bit, and you, and and uh, Steven Tyler's leading the whole thing, and he does a great job. Do you remember we're all in the same gang? Yes, I do remember okay. we're all in the same gang. 
this guy could write songs. Like, it's really incredible how talented he yeah. was. Now, the song Father Figure, that's kind of creepy, right? It is. Um, well, and, and also... Uh, I don't know what. Welcome you, to our '80s music podcast. Yeah, I, I, by the I way. don't know when you listened to Faith. How you decided that "Monkey" was going to be one of the singles? Oh, that song's awesome. Talk about a dated song. If you if you listen to that now, you don't go stands up. That that should be released today as a single. I mean. Yes and no, but like, like as soon as you said it, like now it's stuck in my head. Yeah, you played that song a lot in our house. Absolutely, that I loved that record. Yeah, that I just remember you walking around going, "Why did you do it? Why can't you set your?" And I'm like, "What? What is this terrible shit?" <laughs> I still think that song's pretty good. Um, all right, anything else we want to say about uh, Freedom 90, which which oh by I kept calling it Fame 90 when we were playing this episode, which is which is David Bowie. The, uh, no, that's just Fame. It's I just Fame. He, no, uh, but there was Fame 90 is something, isn't it? No, I think it's nothing. Okay. Um f- the only reason this was called Freedom 90 is because Wham had a big hit called Freedom already and he didn't want to get them confused, which Trust me, when you listen to the two songs, you don't get them confused. David Bowie, Fame 90, official video. What? Yes. Is is this like Candle in the Wind 1994 or whatever it was? Honestly, I'm not sure, but I knew it was something. <laughs> I still don't know what it is, but maybe it's Maybe it's something. his tribute to Freddie Mercury. I mean, I don't think so, but maybe. Maybe it's his tribute to Frank Zappa. Wait, wasn't Freddie Mercury alive in 90? Yeah, but we knew that he was on his way out. <laughs> It's right. Also, Rip George, I mean, Rip George Michael, who died on Christmas Day in 2016. Sure. Merry Christmas to nobody. And also, also to be fair, David Bowie did write a tribute album to himself just before he died. So, which was really, which is good. great. Yeah, which no, was no, not, really, really good. This was not a criticism. <laughs> if All anybody right. deserved it, what are you listening to, Jake? Um, God. <laughs> So, it's it's not that I find this a guilty pleasure at all. It's just that I'm so late to the house party, as I'll put it, that I shouldn't even be mentioning it. But I only now got around to listening to Harry's House, the album that Harry Styles put out almost a year ago. Never heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Cool. Also, by the way, there's this artist called Taylor Swift coming to town. You should check her out if you haven't yet. Oh, I'll see if I can get tickets. Uh, yeah, they're they're really easy. There's mm-hmm. uh, she's playing a big place, and not a lot of people know her. So okay, um, it is such a great pop album. Yeah, I, it's really good. I mean, it, like uh, I I put that and Dua Lipa, uh, something nostalgia, future nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, as like the two best pop albums of the last five years. Really, really fantastic yeah, really excellent. And, and worth listening. I also want to give a shout out to local band, The True Loves. Um, my friend Jimmy James, who plays guitar, has been touring not, with- Not associated with my morning jacket? No, that's okay. Jim James. This right. is Jimmy James. Uh, he's been touring for the last few years with another band, Delvon Lamar Organ Trio, who oh, I've yes. also mentioned I on love, the show. I love that, yeah. Uh, he just left the band to spend uh, more time on his other band, which is a eight-piece fun- horn funk band. And I went and saw them last night, and they sound just fantastic. And he's still got it. And they have not put out a new album recently, but I think they're working on one. And they're starting to tour regularly. So go see them in your city if your city is not Seattle. Awesome. The True Loves. Yep. All right. Um 
I got three for you. One one was a last minute edition that I discovered this morning. Uh, so first off, Caroline Rose has a new album called The Art of Forgetting, um, and I really I really enjoyed their last two albums. Um, and this one this one is their dark breakup album, uh, and like it goes real dark. There is an excellent song on it called Everywhere I Go I Bring the Rain. There's another song called The Doldrums. So this uh, this breakup was real bad, but there's a little bit of like light at the end of the tunnel uh, at the end of the album, which has some like kind of long epic songs to to bring things around. I think it is probably their best album, and uh, the album art is also amazing. <laughs> and it feels it feels like, you know, it could have gone either way. Like, they were clearly trying to take a big step forward in terms of emotional intensity and songwriting, and I think they nailed it. I'm looking this up. It's really good. Um, there is a Portland indie band called Eyelids uh, that has a new album called A Colossal Waste of Light. And um, this band, I think, like, someone, like, sort of assembled this band specifically to appeal to me because it features a guy from the Decemberists, a guy from Camper Van Beethoven, and the lead singer of the band did a bunch of work with R.E.M. And there was, when I Googled him, there uh, there was a profile written of him in Willamette Week, the uh, the weekly, alternative weekly in Portland, that focused on the fact that he owns 60 sweaters and always wears sweaters <laughs> at his shows. <laughs> so... Not not a big news week that week, I guess. Right. So, so basically... Eyelids, they sound exactly like you would expect based on all the things I just said. Basically like a parody of a good indie band, i.e. a good indie band. Recommend it. Wow, this Caroline Rose uh, cover art is incredible. Yeah. And, and I know what I'm wearing on my birthday next year. <laughs> yes. Okay. And uh, the last minute edition from this this morning, I don't know anything about this artist except uh, what I like very briefly Googled. Uh, her name is Kate Davis, and the album is called Fishbowl. Uh, she's from West Lynn, Oregon, and is a bassist, so I feel like Jake must know her. No. Nope. Okay. Uh, well, you should check out the one song that I've listened to long, 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 because it really rocks. It is extremely hooky elect- electro pop. I, I can already, I already know just because uh, I know you, you're going to listen and say this is a fantastic chord progression. Is is it over six minutes? It is no. So it's not long, long, long. No, the the, the song is called long, long, oh, long. Oh, I see but what you're saying. Medium, medium, medium. It's like three and a half minutes. <laughs> okay, something that we must discuss before we go today. Oh, oh, I almost forgot. Uh, oh, thank you for remembering this. So Rolling Stone this week put out an article about uh, show favorites, the band Live, which. You know, maybe one of my favorite episodes that we've done was <laughs> yeah, Throne that's Copper. probably my favorite episode. Um, I I will laugh forever at <laughs> we all get the food, we all get eggs. Uh, <laughs> I thought we all get eight. <laughs> that's mine, right? Eggs is yours. <laughs> okay, like like you knew what I was going to say, but, <laughs> but it wasn't but, but what I was, was going to say. Okay, so <laughs> this article, like, is so incredible. You have to look it up. It's called. How an alleged con man tore apart one of the 90s biggest bands. And it's basically about how this, I don't know what you'd call him, grifter, uh, yeah, I Ponzi think, I think scheme grifter artist. Is, is the perfect name. Because like, they had to put alleged con man in the headline, but there is nothing alleged about no, this. No, and, and <laughs> this article is, is like, like, it's really long and you keep going because every time you're like, Oh, that's crazy. They go, oh, you think that's crazy? Oh, yeah. By the way, the FBI refused to say whether they were or were not investigating this. Yeah. And, and, and like, he took 
everybody in the band separately and together. It was like the guitarist meets this grifter and is like, I'm investing all my money it's a with tale this guy. All this time, guitarist meets grifter. Like, like part of this, they all buy a buy building a dr- together. And it doesn't specify what they're right. going to use the building for. It just says they're going to buy a building, and then the building spontaneously implodes. <laughs> right. So then, then they they uh, start a fiber optic company. Like, so the thing the thing about this article was I kept like it. You absolutely must read the whole thing, and we'll, and we'll link to it in the show notes. And I kept saying like, this is fucking insane. Like, I have no idea what's going to happen next, and yet. I'm not totally surprised that that the band live got into all of this shit. I, I know. It's it's really incredible. The whole thing about the, the building is that it cost a million dollars, and the way they got the money is they had just got some, like, $1.8 million donation, and they used over half of it to buy this building. I'm sorry, donation? I, I don't remember. <laughs> oh, here it is. Did they put up a GoFundMe? Oh, they sold their publishing rights for $1.9 million and then used half of it to to buy buy a a building that that imploded. (laughs) Anyway, this is like, just go read the article. (laughs) It's it's really incredible. And and like you, you get towards the end. And you find out that the drummer is like a conspiracy theorist and and kind of like like throws it out there like, oh, I don't I don't really see how that's a big deal. Right. It's, like, yeah, as, as you said, what was the thing you said when you texted me? Like, when someone asked you if you if you believe in QAnon, uh, I don't not believe in it is not the best answer. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, this was this was really something. Yeah, um, I, I, I highly, highly recommend. You're going to open it and go. This is a really long article. Really worth it, beginning to yes, end. Yes, content warning: the the grifter friend also did sexually assault a woman, and uh, that is that is like a big part of the narrative. But none of none of the guys from Live were involved in that part. Yeah, but they're accused of other things. Oh yes. Uh oh oh I I just have to read this part, please. Uh, the drummer Gracie, I voted for Donald Trump in 2020. And I had my conspiracy theories about COVID and vaccines and stuff like that. Sure, I would look at the Q stuff, and I never took it seriously, but I look at all kinds of stuff. It's kind of funny that he's bringing this up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. So uh, so that's uh, the official band of the show live and what they're up to lately. Yep. Check them um, out if you if you haven't yet. Yeah, check us out at hiddenjukebox.com where we'll post a link to that article and uh, to the stuff that uh, we're listening to this this month. Uh, find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash hiddenjukebox, on Instagram at jukeboxhidden. Yep. And uh, until next time, I'm Matthew Amster-Burton. And I'm Jake Amster.